welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. We're here in the book of 1 Samuel. We're walking, working through all of the kings, the main uh, kings of Israel, and we're with Saul, and we are here in verse 14. So everybody with me. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, tell me, where is the house of the seer? Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. Last verse. As for you and your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? I think, is there one more verse, Greg? Landon. Oh, Saul answered, Am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel, and is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's living and it's active right now, and that it can speak to us right now about the truths of your kingdom, God, so it can lead us through life uh, on the paths of life, and not on the wide road that leads to destruction, but the narrow road that leads to your home. Let the word be a good seed planted in our heart to produce in us the fruit of the kingdom of heaven. And everybody said amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Um, okay, cool. Here we are, Sunday morning, and and um, I should get my notes out here. Okay, so welcome to King's Church. We are called King's Church. A lot of people are confused about that. There's a little K and not a big K that confuses people, and the apostrophe confuses people. And so a lot of times I'll find myself you know, speaking at something, and they'll have their apostrophe in the wrong place, you know? I don't know, do you know? Because they think I mean it's the king's church, and I don't mean that. I mean that God has called us to be kings and priests before him in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the idea, that's the theme, that we are called, not in our own strength or because we're so cool or because we live in New York City, but because of Christ Jesus our Lord, he transforms us radically and makes us his sons and daughters, kings and priests. And that's that combination. The priestly combination is the communicating to God, loving God, and the kingly combination is the actual impact on the earth here. Uh, we were doing, I was doing the branding for our children's department, which is very small at this stage. <laughs> and I was like, wouldn't it be cool if we had a giraffe? Because a giraffe is like head in the clouds, feet on the ground. 
And there's some kind of thing about like uh, that we live in the spirit, that we're kingdom people, that we care about the spirit and presence of God, but we don't care so much that we forget about the things of the earth, that we walk on the earth, that we have a calling to this earth, to this world, to your neighbors, to your family, to the people in your life, that you're called to impact them. And oftentimes in Christendom, we're like, let me just pray in the prayer closet forever. And then there's people that are like, no, let me just work with, you know, the broken. We're supposed to be doing both, right? We're supposed to be seeking Jesus with all our life in worship and then saying, okay, God, now send me on a mission that I could be a king or a priest. Like a king is just someone that has influence and serves those around him. That's the concept. And that's, that's what we want to do. That's our idea is that we would serve, we would connect to the spirit of God and serve the people around us. Amen. You know, I was thinking about uh, when I, when we first, I first thought of the name, I felt like the Lord gave me the name this guy, John Mark McMillan, is a friend of mine, and he, he said he felt like he had a prophetic word over me. And he's, he said, David, I think God has a real kingly role for you, and that means like influence with government and leaders and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And then he said later, I, we're start, I'm starting a church with my dad here in Charlotte, and Charlotte is known as the Queen City. And he said, so we're going to call it uh, Queen City Church. And I was like, if I had a church, it would be called King's Church, not Queen Church. And, and hence, <laughs> the development of the name King's Church. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with y'all queens out there. Uh-huh. Um, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. It's gender, gender neutral King's Church. Okay. Um, uh, that can get dangerous quick. Okay, let's get into the scripture. All right, Samuel, here we are. This is the first time in the story thus far, in the story of Saul, that the prophet Samuel is going to appear. And this guy is the real deal prophet. Now, if you'll remember with me, they're transitioning government types. They're going from this government that was a judge-ruled government, and they're moving into a monarchy, which is a king-ruled government. Now, check this out. The judge-ruled government um, was, was a system that was, the judge was only called upon if there was an absolute emergency. War, you know, people at the gates, warfare, or if there was an appellate legal situation that had to come up the ranks and they couldn't figure it out and they needed a judge to make the discretionary call. Peter Kreeft um, says of the judges, these were not judges in the modern sense as in, administra in administration of legal justice, but also political governors and military leaders in emergencies, warriors like Samson or Gideon, priests like Eli, and this one, the last one, Samuel as a judge was the only prophet of all the judges in the book of Judges. And as we talked about, it was at the end of this period of Judges that... Um, that Israel really started to deteriorate morally as a country. And when the country deteriorates morally, there is often a shift of governance. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But the word um, judge actually is the same word for savior. And judge is, this, it's the same definition as the definition for Jesus, actually. The, the, uh, the savior of the people. And um, in, our co in, our, in our current kind of uh, uh, political context, especially what's been, what's been creeping in the church slowly is that systems of man are our savior and Jesus is not our savior. And so we have movements like the BLM movement, we have uh, the woke church movement, and these church movements are bringing in philosophies that say, hey, these ideas will save us, but we in the church believe that Jesus saves us. 
and not just temporally, not, and not just eternally, not just in the heaven hereafter, but our actual lives here on earth. That our finances, our marriage, our relationships, our friendships, our jobs, Jesus saves all of it. There is no area that Jesus does not save and cannot save. There are areas that we don't bring under the subjugation of his kingdom, but if he would, then he would save us. Travis and I were just talking earlier, and we were talking about you know, issues in our life that we're, it's like we're sitting in prison, and the cell has been opened, the door has been opened, and we're still sitting in the cell. Right? It's like Jesus did free you and save you. He broke the curse. The sword went into the earth, the cross, upside down, plunging into the earth to break the curse that was actually here, physically. And a lot of us sit in the cell and they're like, oh, we're like, oh, I got this kind of stuff. But have you brought it to Jesus yet? Have you brought it to him in prayer? Have you brought it to him in intercession? Have you sought Jesus in those areas of struggle or shame or frustration or pain? Can you look through your life? If you were to close your eyes with me real quick. Just close your eyes with me. We're just doing this. It's, uh, it's not in the notes. Close your eyes with me. If you look through your life and you just scan your job and your, your, your health and your, your, your personal stuff and your relationship with your family and your parents, and can you see the most painful part of that? Can you, can you, can you see it? I can, I can see it. What if you were to bring that to Jesus this week? What if every day we say, I'm taking that. I don't know how to fix it clearly, Lord but I believe, Jesus, that you can save me, that you're Savior. You're not just God that sits on a throne, but you're our Savior. If you have that, if you, if you saw something and there was pain, can you write it down or can you take it down in your notes or can you write about, just put it, put it somewhere so that this week you can say, God, I'm going to seek you this week that, Jesus, you would be my Savior in that area. And I'm happy to talk to you. Bethany, one of our leaders, talk to you about it uh, afterwards. And pray with you that the Lord would, would break you out of that. Um, but I'm, I'm highly opposed to this new cultural idea that new philosophies coming into the church can actually be our savior. Like new economic systems, new redistributions. It's all, it's all, it's all trash and it never actually works. It's like shifting the power roles and let's, let's try it this way. And it always breaks because it's not Jesus as the answer. Jesus is the answer. And as trite and simple as it sounds, he is the answer. He did come to earth. He did live a life here. He did die, and he was risen again by the power of God, and he does desire to live with you and change everything around you. It's not pretend. It's real. Come on, baby. Come on. I was listening to this, this, this Christian rapper, um, Lecrae, saying, partnering with this, with this congressman or, 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 or representative that's saying that as pastors should believe that abortion is okay. And I'm like, this guy, what, what kind of kingdom are they living in where it's okay to kill the most vulnerable member of society? What kind of kingdom are they living in? I was like, Lecrae and Warnock should start their own rap album called uh, Consorting and Aborting and Hang Out Together. But, but the kingdom of heaven, listen, like we, we, we do this thing that where we silo the kingdom of heaven just to eternal affairs. And we don't realize it's supposed to touch every single area of the world. Now, that doesn't mean I point a gun at you saying get saved or, or die. That's not what it is. But all of our life is supposed to come under the rule and reign of Jesus as Savior and Judge. Amen?
Okay, so let's jump right into this verse 15. We're talking about Saul. We're talking about Samuel. And Saul's walking up. He's lost the donkey. He's trying to find him. And it says in verse 15, Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. I want you to anoint this guy to be ruler over my people. And Saul is called a seer. I had this dream last night. And in my dream, I haven't talked about a dream in a long time. I haven't had a lot of dreams recently. But in, in this dream, I had a, a gentleman at church walked up to me and he said, I would like to, for you to pray for me. And I was like, okay, cool. Uh, what do you want me to pray for you? And he said, I want to have an encounter with God. I was like, great. God wants to have an encounter with you. Let's pray about it. And I prayed over him. And in the dream, I had a picture that came to my mind. It was like a, it's, we're talking dream within a dream now. It's like inception, everything slow motion, bullet time. Any inception fans here? No? Okay, thank you, thank you. Um, <laughs> you're in the right place. Uh, and I, I see this picture in, the, in my mind. I'm praying for this guy and seeing this picture in my mind, in my dream mind, double mind. And he has these binoculars and he's looking out over the, over the sea. And I say to the man in my dream, God wants you to see. But I said, in order to be a seer, you have to be a hearer. And the prophet is a seer. He can see things in the future, God things. But in order to be a seer, you have to be a hearer. You have to be able to hear the voice of God. And we're called as believers to hear the voice of God. This whole idea of relationship with God doesn't work if you only direct your prayers to him and never wait for a response. It would be akin to me believing that I have a relationship with Brad Pitt because I have all of his magazines and I've read them all, like read all the soaps, I watched all his movies, I know everything about him, but he's never spoken to me ever. We don't have a relationship, okay? It doesn't matter how much I know about him. It doesn't matter if I have his height memorized, his hair color, if I've stalked and looked in his bathroom when he was, you know, I would never do that. Not with Brad Pitt anyway. But the point is, you know, I, he's never spoken to me. We don't have a relationship. That's how that goes. And we have a church full of people that have studied about God and they have read about God and they can tell you facts about God, but they've never stopped to listen to God and they don't know him. And Jesus says to a bunch of people that are like, we did all these mighty works in your name. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And so Samuel is a guy that the, 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 the inception of his life, the beginning of his story in the scripture is God speaking to him. And he doesn't understand that it's God. He doesn't get it. It doesn't sound like God. It's not like there's not a sparkle in the background. There's not a sparkle reverb on the voice. You know, he doesn't understand. He just thinks it's another voice, the voice of his master, Eli. And how many of us are trying to listen to the voice of God and we're like, ah, I don't think that's God. That's the beginning of the story of the prophet. And that's how it starts. God, will you speak to me? Through your, you know, by, by, because Jesus died and rose again and I believe in him and you've forgiven me and I'm living in this kingdom life that I can have access to the voice of, of God via the Holy Spirit. Lord, will you speak to me? And then you hear something like, I love you, and you're like, ah. If I was thinking, what would God say? I would think to myself to say, I love you to myself. And that's weird because I don't love myself. <laughs> you're like, you don't love yourself. You wouldn't say that. You would think God would say, you're bad. Please act better. That's what you would think God would say. 
But if you would trust the whispering of the Holy Spirit, that's how you develop a relationship with God. That's how that begins. And so this is what happens with Samuel. He becomes a hearer. He hears God speak to him. And then he develops this relationship. And he, he, um, he builds, he builds, he becomes the, the protector of the people of Israel because he's a prophet that's a leader. He's someone that hears God, and then God places him in a position of authority. And he doesn't just go around saying all the time, like, the Lord told me that you should buy me lunch today. No, like he's, no, he's listening to God, and God is speaking to him on issues. And check this out. This is such an amazing scripture. And you can't see it in the English, but you can see it in the Hebrew. In verse 15, it says, Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. Now check out what the Ellicott commentary says about the Hebrew of this verse. It says, The image is taken from the pushing aside of the headdress in order to whisper into the ear. Okay? That's what the language is inferring. Like in, in the Middle East where they would have a, a, a headdress on and someone picking the headdress up so you can whisper in their ear. And the commentary says this is one of the very few times in Scripture where it's really showing us how God speaks. God speaks in whispers. And the headdress is really emblematic of our mind and our thoughts and all of the stuff we're thinking about and it's spinning and it's... The headdress is pushed aside, and the Lord whispers to Samuel. And I think how often is my head spinning, and I'm in the middle of the day, and I have a thousand things. I'm like, God, why won't you speak to me? And I'm not still before him. Like, my headdress is on too tight. There's too much stuff going on in my head. But, and that's why it's so important, guys. And it says it throughout the, uh, throughout the Psalms, is that in the morning, when there's stillness, we can go before him and say, Holy Spirit, will you speak to me? I, my head is not spinning yet. My headdress isn't on too tight yet. And I can wait in the presence of God and say, will you, speak, will you speak to me, Lord? Just like Samuel says as a boy, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And I love it. I think it's really cool. Um, we, I can't remember if I talked about this last week, so I'll just say it really quickly. You know, there are three internal voices. There's the voice of us, there's the voice of God as Christians, and there's the voice of the devil. And we see that really clearly in Peter in the book of John. And, you know, John says, Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And Peter responds, some say you're a prophet. That's the voice of man, other people's thoughts, other people are saying. And then he says, who do you say I am? He says, you're the son of the living God. Peter says, flesh and blood has not revealed this, but the spirit of God has revealed this to you. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to Peter and him saying it. Moments later, Peter says, you can't go to the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That's the voice of the devil speaking through Satan. It's not God's ideas. It's really not even Peter's idea. And uh, that happens to us. And that's why we have to learn two things. We have to learn how to wait on God, but we have to learn the words of God, the context of God, how he behaves, what he's like. So we read the scripture to know what he's like, what he does. Like, he's not going to tell you to chop your little finger off. I promise. I promise. He's not going to do that. Right? And put it on a set, do a dance around it. He's not going to do that. That's weird. That's what the weirdo charismatics do. They're always trying to chop their pinkies off. You know, don't go there. Um, <laughs> it's true. Uh, we, we learn about what he's, how he speaks 
by, like, you can learn about, like, if you, if you watch all these interviews with Brad Pitt, when you then go and hang out with Brad Pitt, you would know kind of his, the tone of his language, what he talks about, the stuff he likes. And so, you know, if, if you know what someone's like and, and they're speaking, doesn't mean you know them yet, but it will help you contextualize. So that's why we get in the scripture. We learn about who God is and how he responds and, and what we're supposed to do and all of those things. So when we're waiting, and if you hear, you know, I really feel like you should jump off a building. You're like, no, that's probably not the Lord. Probably not, you know, <laughs> probably not. Okay, chapter 9, verse 21. So we have the seer, and the seer has been spoken to by the Lord. And verse 21 says, Saul answers after they have this interaction. He says, but am I not a Benjaminite? Am I not from the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why would you ever say a thing like this to me? Why would you ever say something like this to me? Because he had just said, is not the desire of the whole nation upon you? And what does that mean contextually? Like, everyone wants you to be in charge. You're tall and handsome and all this stuff. And he's like, he responds like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a pitiful small person. I'm from the smallest... Uh, clan in the smallest tribe, there's no reason that you should use me. And, and, and this is an interesting thing, like, God always uses the smallest, because it's not through us, but it's through him that's glorified. He doesn't use the giant, amazing, amazing, confident thing that you think he's going to use. He uses the smallest and the weakest. You know, you know the, the town of Nazareth, right? It's like this little dot that means nothing. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is like, oh, I think I'll choose that one. And we are, are so, like, one of the things I said earlier when we started this is, when we look at Saul, we need to look at what not to do. And when the, when the call of God comes to Saul, he says, God, no, sorry, not me. There's no way it can be me. Pass it on to somebody else. Because he has a heart that's seated in fear. And it's not seated in the hope of God that God has something good for you. How many of us live our lives and are not doing what we're called to do by God because we're simply afraid that God is not going to come through for us? Or you're afraid to talk to your friend about Jesus because you think you're just going to get embarrassed and nothing's going to happen. What if he's, his eternal life is, is changed immediately at that moment? What if the trajectory of his life is immediately changed? What if you stepped out and did the thing God told you to do and he actually fulfilled the promise? People of faith believe that God will back them up. People not of faith think God's really not a good guy. He's not really going to show up. And, and then they, they respond like Saul responds. You know, we, we learned earlier that Saul was the tallest and the handsomest of everybody in Israel. And still he responds this way. Isn't that weird? Like, even though he had all of the stuff, his heart was still rooted in fear. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that you probably don't know the answer to, um, unless you're a professional Bible teacher. Uh, he says this, but I'm, uh, am I not a Benjaminite from the smallest tribe of Israel, and is, my, uh, is not my clan the least in the, in the whole nation? So let's ask uh, Sincere. Sincere, why was, why was Gabe? No, you're, no, I'm joking. <laughs> Everyone's like, yes, this is going to be good. No. <laughs> um, why, was the, why was the tribe of Benjamin so small? Because there's no story that, that you remember like early on in their inception while they're the smallest. Do you guys, do you, you, you wonder that? Well, in Judges chapter 19, one of the most horrific stories of the Old Testament takes place. 
And the nation of Israel literally almost wipes the, nation, the, the tribe of Benjamin off the face of the earth. Did you know that? Did you know that happened? Let me, let me tell you the story uh, real quick. I'm not going to go through it too much in detail, but there's a guy, a Benjaminite guy, and he's traveling through the land in Judges chapter 19. This story is over chapter 19 and 20. And he shows up in this, he gets his concubine. He's not, an, he doesn't seem like the nicest guy. He's kind of, a, I think he's kind of a dirtbag. And he, his, his concubine goes back to her dad. She's like, I don't want to hang with you anymore. You're a dirtbag. That's not in the scripture. That's my edition. That's the, the Engelhart Amplified Bible. <laughs> Ampli amplified. And it says this. It says he goes to the concubine's dad's house and says he spoke sweetly to her. And the father was like, okay, I'll give you, you know, you can take the daughter back. Uh, the, the, you know, the connotation is that he wasn't speaking sweetly to her before that. And therefore she left, right? So lesson for husbands, speak sweetly to your wives lest they leave you. Um, and so they, they find, there's a whole interaction and it's complicated. He finally gets his concubine and they're going home and they stop in a town in the clan of Benjamin and the town is Gerar and he's waiting in the square and there's a, there's a guy that's not from the area. And the guy that's not from the area is like, bro, listen, do not hang out in the town square. Bad, bad idea. It gets super dark in my town that I'm staying at for just the time being. So come on to my house and stay with me. And so, you know, the, 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 you know, the husband's like, fine, let's do it. So he goes to the guy's house and then uh, the night, the darkness falls. How many know bad things happen when darkness comes, right? Like, you know, riots generally don't happen at, at 7 a.m. You know, it's just generally not the time frame. It's generally darkness falls. Darkness falls, and it says this in the scripture, that all of the men of the city go out to rape the husband that just showed up. It's funny because both in Genesis 19 and in Judges 19, the language is the same, that all of the men have been corrupted. And they all go out to rape this guy, and they show up at, at, the, at the, the stranger shepherd's house, and they're like, hey, bring the guy out. We're going to rape him. And they're, they're like, please don't do this. This is an ab abomination. It's horrible. You guys, are, you guys are filthy. I don't even know why I live in your town right now. And they, they give out the guys, the concubine, who he, like I said, he wasn't a great husband. Remember I said that, right? They, they throw her out. She gets raped to death. The end of the story, kind of. The nation of Israel finds out about it, and they're like, we're going to destroy all of Benjamin. We're going to destroy them because they're shameful and abominable. And so the people, of, the people of Israel clan up, and they stomp they jump up and down on the tribe of Benjamin for a few days. And they kill almost all of them. Almost all of the, everybody. Like everybody, they leave 600 men alive in total in the tribe of Benjamin. So a couple of, th couple of things are really important about this story. One of them is that, that there's, a, there's a thinker, and he, his name is Will Durant, and he says, sexuality is a river of fire. If it's not bordered and bedded on all sides, it will consume everyone. And that's why we have things like marriage, right? Because sexuality is a gift from God, but if it's not seated in the right setting, if you take the fire out of the fireplace and you put it on the living room floor, then it will spread and consume the entire house. 
And that's why that language in both Genesis 19 and Judges 19 is the same because sexuality uninhibited spreads throughout a culture. Did you know that about 10 years ago, the population of homosexuality in the United States was about 1%? Do you know right now it's about 5.7%? And do you know that the, the, the justification was just like some people are naturally born that way, some people aren't? And now they're like, no, people are, are fluid. They can choose at any point, at any moment, whenever they want. Because that's how, that's how sexuality that's not given these incredible boundaries. Like, when, have you ever been in a cabin in the wintertime and had a fire in the fireplace, crackling and warm? It is amazing. I took the boys uh, skiing a couple of weeks ago. We had no fire. But we went to the place where I used to work, and we used to have a fire. It was fun then. Um, it's such a blessing. In the right setting, it's such a blessing from God. It's incredible. It's like, like have you ever sat in front of the fireplace and it, your eyes get locked into the flame? You're like, you know, stuff is happening. It's romantic. It feels awesome. It smells awesome. That's the gift of sexuality that God gave to us. It's incredible in the context of marriage, and it brings life to the entire household. It's incredible. But the world keeps saying on billboards and magazines and newspapers and movies over and over and over again, it's so much more fun if you put it in the living room floor. It's so much more exciting if you place that fire and you put it on the curtains. It's way better. And then it ultimately destroys the entire house. Yeah. And that's what we see. And so, so when, when, when Saul is speaking to, when Saul is speaking to Samuel, he's saying, Samuel, we literally just got stomped on. Uh, you know, a generation ago, I don't know the years, it's, in the, it's within a hundred years ago, we literally just got stomped on, so therefore we are the smallest tribe in the nation of Israel. We're, we're not only the smallest tribe, but we also have this mark of shame on us. This is so incredible that God would choose the king of all of the people of Israel from the smallest group with the mark of shame on them. And how many of us are walking through life with shame from sexual sin or a past saying God would never use me? Could it be true that God wants to make you a king in a generation that's been marked with sexual pain and shame that God is calling for kings to arise? Isn't that incredible that the voice of the prophet comes and he says, I don't care about your past. I don't care about how small the tribe is. I don't care about what's happening. God has called you and chosen you. That's the cross, baby. That's what that is. That's the mercy and grace of God spread lavished by the love of the Son that has sovereignly chosen all of us here today. That Jesus would bleed and die for those he loves desperately. And I love that song that we were singing. Praise God who takes away my pride, heals me of my shame inside. 
he makes me his beautiful bride, for thou art yours for all my life. You know, this whole story of, of, of the Old Testament, it's like sometimes we wonder why we're looking through it, and we're looking through it because we discover Jesus inside of it. We discover the promise of Jesus for people like us that have a past and have brokenness and have pain. And can I say that Jesus wants us to walk in freedom, in liberty, in righteousness, in the pleasure of the fire, in the fireplace, on the winter's night, and it's warm and it's beautiful. He wants that for us. And if you're here today and you felt like, I just think I'll go to church and it'll be okay, I just want you to know that perhaps God is sovereignly in control of the universe. Perhaps that he chose you today to be here. Perhaps he knew that I was going to talk about exactly this situation. And perhaps he wants you to know that he doesn't care about your past. It's covered by the blood. If we'll turn and say, God, I repent, will you forgive me? He will open his arms fully and enrapture you, and he'll call you to be a king or a queen or whatever kind of gender-neutral, not-neutral term you want to use because <laughs> he's that good. And I don't want to preach anymore, so can you bow your heads and close your eyes? Because it doesn't actually get better than that, you know? And I want to, I want to pray, and I want to say, God, um, well, let me just ask this question. You bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're, if you're here in this room today, and you don't know Jesus, and you want to know a God that's that good, and that loves you that much, can you just raise your hand and give me a look? Yeah, amen. Anybody else? Or I want you all, if you'll say this prayer with me um, jointly. Jesus, uh, I turn from my old way, and I repent of my sin. I can't do anything about it, but you can. So today, I believe that you died on a cross and rose again. Will you come and live in my life? Today, I pledge my life to you. Amen. Listen, I want to pray for one more set of people. Um, again, this is, a, this is definitely a closed eyesers because I know people get really freaked out about sexual sin. But if you feel like... David, I have sexual sin in my life and pain and shame and it's, it's a hindrance and it's a burden and I don't like it and it's, I'm tripping over it and it's frustrating. Uh, I want you to know that Jesus loves you desperately. He wants your healing and he wants to take the backpack of pain off. And if that's you and you want me to pray, just raise your hand so I can see who I'm going to pray with. I'm not going to call you up. I'm just going to pray from right here. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Good. Good. All over the room. Okay, why don't you all just stand with me, and um, we're going to pray. Father, there's no sins, Lord, that, 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 that can even come close to the power of the blood. Like, there, there's, no, there's no act that we can do that's even close to, to watering down the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus. And so, God, I just pray for every hand that was lifted in this place, God. And the hands that are desperate in the hearts of those that were afraid, God, just I pray for those hearts, too, and those hands, God. God, and I thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes and cleanses us, God. God, I thank you for repentance and the gift of repentance that makes us 
brand new creations in Christ Jesus, that the old is gone and the new comes. Can I just tell you uh, that babies don't know how to walk super well when they're first born? Can I just let you know like they need parents to help them learn how to walk? Like They need to be held by the hand and, and walked with. Can I tell you that there's people here that would be happy to, that not just happy, honored to hold your hand as you're learning to walk in this. This culture wants to destroy your life. It doesn't want you to have the fruit that God has given, the blessing, the covenant, the beauty. The, the devil wants to steal it and tear it away. But Jesus wants to teach you how to walk. And we're happy to, to lead you on that path and walk with you there. So please connect with us. Um, make sure you get in a community hang with the small group team. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the, for the word that you just gave me um, about your incredible redemption. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.